In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the elements of the Mass that are found in the book of Revelation. And just as an introduction to that, some of you might be familiar with Dr. Scott Hahn. He's a biblical scholar, a convert to Catholicism. And one of the main things that brought him to the Catholic faith was seeing scripture in the Mass. And, as it happens, seeing Mass in the scriptures. I just want to quote from him, talking about one of his most important memories, one of the most important moments in his conversion. He says, quote, My most vivid memory of the first Mass I attended was that powerful moment in the communion rite where the people say, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, Lamb of God. Then they knelt and the priest held up the host and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I was sitting in the back pew as simply an observer, but suddenly I knew where I was. I was back in the book of Revelation where Jesus is called the Lamb of God no less than 28 times in 22 chapters. He's only called Lamb in one other book in the entire New Testament, the Gospel of John. But in the Apocalypse, that's his main title. More than all the other titles, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, and all the rest, he's the Lamb of God. I went back to Mass the next day. I had my pad and pencil, and I had my Bible. This time I had it open to Revelation, and I saw things I'd never seen before. I saw a connection in these liturgical actions. Not just one or two, not even just eight or ten. I made a list of thirty elements. White-robed priests, an altar, a congregation chanting holy, 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 the alleluias, the amen, the golden chalices, the book, the invocation of angels and saints. I hardly knew which way to turn, toward the actions on the pages of the apocalypse or the action up at the altar. After about 15 or 20 minutes of the second mass, suddenly I realized they were one and the same action. What I was reading on the page was exactly what I was watching up there on the altar. He goes on to note that as he continued his research, continued studying scripture and studying the early history of the church, he found that he wasn't the first one to discover this, not surprisingly, that the fathers of the church had made this connection. This is a helpful way to read Revelation as well, a way to unify it, because to many people, it's just a jumble of weird images and prophecies. But if you consider it all as a heavenly liturgy, and we'll talk about how to do that, then it really makes sense of the whole book. It's not as if every element is about the Mass, but there are so many connections that it's hard to ignore, and it helps bring a unified meaning to what's an otherwise very difficult book of Scripture to interpret or understand or get through. It also helps put in perspective what's going on at Mass, that we're uniting ourselves to a heavenly liturgy, that what's going on is not a mundane, merely earthly thing, a gathering of people in some building that may or may not be a nice-looking building. It's hard sometimes to picture it as participating in a heavenly liturgy, but that's really what's going on, and that's what the book of Revelation tells us, that all of the angels and saints are together with us when we celebrate Mass because we are united in the one offering of Christ's sacrifice that exists in eternity. Again, to quote Scott Hahn, he says, It became obvious to me two things were unmistakably true. On the one hand, the heavenly liturgy is the golden thread that holds together all of the apocalyptic pearls in John's revelation. And then, near the end of the seventh letter, come the words I've heard Billy Graham preach so many times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I noticed that Billy Graham had always stopped right there. I'll come in. What, to your heart? If you keep reading, Jesus says, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Just what supper is he talking about? That's when it became obvious to me as I moved into chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, Christ is talking about the communion supper. 
So let's begin to look at the actual connections, looking at particular verses in Revelation and how they match up with the Mass. It's important to remember the structure of the Mass. We have the entrance antiphon and then the penitential rite, the opening prayer, the liturgy of the word, the offertory, preface to the Eucharistic prayer, the Eucharistic prayer, the communion rite. Let's see if we can match up in the book of Revelation some of these elements. And the first one to note is that when John is caught up in spirit and these visions begin, he says it's on the Lord's day. Chapter 1, verse 10. I was caught up in spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice as loud as a trumpet. And you see that Christ is the high priest. You have a priest in liturgical garb. He says in chapter er, in chapter 1, verse 13, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, wearing an ankle-length robe with a gold sash around his chest. Uh, one thinks of the priest in an alb and a stole, which is basically kind of like a sash. You also see this in chapter 4, verse 4. Surrounding the throne, I saw 24 other thrones on which 24 elders sat, dressed in white garments and with gold crowns on their heads. So all of those uh, around the throne are in what we would call liturgical garb. And this is obvious to us if we think of the Alban Mass. It also would have been obvious as a priestly garment to the early Christians and to the Jews. In chapter 6, verse 9, it says, When he broke open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the witness they bore to the word of God. This is significant because when the priest uh, comes into the sanctuary, the first thing he does is to kiss the altar. And the priest kisses a part of the altar where there's an altar stone, which has relics of the saints, which is what's presented here in the book of Revelation. You also see another element of reverencing the altar in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer, along with the prayers of all the holy ones on the gold altar that was before the throne. The smoke of the incense along with the prayers of the Holy Ones went up before God from the hand of the angel. The Sunday Masses and other solemn Masses a priest will often, after he reverences the altar, then take the thurible or the golden censer and incense the altar, which we hold as a sign of our prayers going up to God on the altar. There's another example of this in chapter 5, verse 8. When he took it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each of the elders held a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the Holy Ones. There are also, of course, many instances of the singing of hymns. Just to give a couple examples in chapter 5. They sang a new hymn, Worthy are you to receive the scroll and to break open its seals. For you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God those from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. And again, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. As we know, the tabernacle should be the center focus of any church, along with the altar. Should be, often is not, but should be. And in the book of Revelation, we have in chapter 11, verse 19, when John sees the heavenly temple, it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. So the Ark of the Covenant, as you might remember in the Old Testament, was the receptacle that held uh, the word of God on the tablets and the manna in the desert and the priestly staff of Aaron. We believe this is fulfilled in a couple ways. In a very real way, in Mary, because in her womb she held the true uh, word of God, the true bread from heaven, and the true high priest. But also in the tabernacle in a church, it holds very really the body and blood of Christ, his soul and divinity. So Christ is present in the tabernacle, making it not only like the ark, but greater than the ark of the covenant. There are a number of times throughout the liturgy and when entering and exiting the church that we make the sign of the cross. Uh, this we see mentioned, and the fathers of the church made this connection, in chapter 7, verse 3. 
Do not damage the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. There's a number of mentions in that the saints were marked with the sign of God. Another example being chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So there you have Father and the Son. We know that at the beginning of Mass, there is also the penitential rite, where we ask for God's mercy. This is seen in a number of places, uh, mostly in the beginning chapters in the letters to the various churches, calling them to repentance. For example, chapter 2, verse 5, in the letter to Ephesus, Realize how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. To Pergamum, verse 16. Therefore, repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. So this is what Book of Revelation begins with, and it's also more or less what Mass begins with, with a call for God's mercy. And in the next verse, verse 17, Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the victor I will give some of the hidden manna. Okay, so after repentance, there is the promise of the bread from heaven, obviously uh, fulfilled in the rite of communion, Holy Eucharist. Also on Sundays and other solemnities, we pray the Gloria after the penitential rite. And we see this in the book of Revelation, the glorification of God. They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Chapter 15, verse 3. Great and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, or glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So similar to the Gloria, we pray in Mass after we do the penitential rite. You can see the similarity in some of the lines in the Gloria. For example, you alone are holy, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. Very similar to what uh, we just read in the book of Revelation. After the penitential rite comes the Liturgy of the Word. When we know at Mass, we read from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, from the Psalms, from the Gospels. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. It had writing on both sides and was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a mighty angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Moving down to verse 6, Then I saw, standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb that seemed to have been slain. He came and received the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. So the talk of the scroll and being opened by the Lamb, who is Christ, the Word of God. It's a pretty clear connection there with the scriptures. And also the four living creatures that are mentioned a couple of times. Very early on, the fathers of the church associated these four living creatures with the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Liturgy of the Word culminates in the reading of the Gospel, which is preceded by the Alleluia and Antiphon. And we know they, there's exclamations of Alleluia a number of times. For example, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, After this I heard what sounded like the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation, glory, and might belong to our God. Verse 3, They said a second time, Alleluia, smoke will rise from her forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. As we move from the Liturgy of the Word to the Liturgy of the Eucharist, it's important to remember that the manna has already been mentioned. And also in verse 17 of chapter 2, a curious line. To the victor I shall give some of the hidden manna. I shall also give a white amulet upon which is inscribed a new name, which no one knows except the one who receives it. Uh, this was interpreted very early on as a reference to the Eucharistic host. Remember that the preface begins with, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. There's a line similar to that in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 11, verse 12. 
Then they heard a loud voice from heaven say to them, Come up here. So they went up to heaven in a cloud as their enemies looked on. That part of the Mass, we are lifting up our hearts into heaven to unite ourselves to the heavenly liturgy. So you can see some similarities there. So that's the beginning of the preface. Towards the end of the preface, we do the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy. And this is seen in chapter 4, verse 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were covered with eyes inside and out. Day and night they do not stop exclaiming, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It's also interesting that right after the holy, holy, holy is said in the book of Revelation, we read, The twenty-four elders fall down before the one who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And in Mass, it's precisely right after the, the Sanctus, the holy, 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 that the congregation kneels down in preparation for the Eucharistic prayer, the most important part of the Mass. One thing I meant to mention sooner was the many times in Mass where the priest says, The Lord be with you. We see it in uh, the book of Revelation. We also see it in Paul's epistles, but since we're talking about the Mass in the book of Revelation, we see it at, uh, in fact, the very end. John ends with, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. So just another scriptural element that's in the Mass. Regarding the rest of the Eucharistic prayer, we already have mentions all throughout the book of Revelation of the Lamb of God slain on the altar and also the talk of the manna that will be given to those who triumph. And in the communion rite, the congregation repeats three times, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. And then once they kneel, the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those called to the supper of the Lamb. So all of that together obviously evokes imagery from the book of Revelation. So the heart of the Eucharist is present pretty clearly in this book. Remember how Dr. Scott Hahn, who was a biblical scholar, it pretty much hit him in the face how clear the image of the Mass was present in the book of Revelation, specifically with regard to the Lamb of God. There's an element that's important to Mass that's missing in a lot of parishes, the way we offer Mass these days, but silent contemplation at various times, but especially after the reception of Holy Communion, this is an important element, and that's mentioned in the book of Revelation as well, chapter 8, verse 1. When he broke open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So you can propose to your parish priest that he set aside half an hour of silence after communion. We'll see how that goes. So there are actually many other connections to make between Revelation and the Mass. There's in fact a site where a scholar has connected a hundred different points between Revelation and the Mass, but we only picked a few of them to go over here. So what can we take from this? One, it's clear that heaven is presented as a liturgy. That much is almost indisputable. Just given the few things that we went over here, it was certainly the intention of the divine author, the Holy Spirit, if not also the human author, John the Apostle, to convey that imagery. But if you aren't convinced by the imagery here to say that it's just like the Mass, I'd encourage you to do more study on that. And there's a book by Scott Hahn called The Lamb's Supper. There's also a great book called a Biblical Walk Through the Mass by Edward Sri, S-R-I. Uh, those are two accessible works to look at to find more of the connections and a more in-depth discussion of the scriptural roots of the Mass. But at the very least, we can say that any criticism of the Mass as being non-biblical or non-scriptural is obviously false. Almost every word of the Mass is scripture or is inspired by scripture. And the things used in Mass, the vestments, the chalice, the incense, the altar, those things are obviously scriptural as well. So it's good to do more research on this, not just for an apologetic aim, that is to be able to explain the Mass better to others, but also to enrich your own prayer during the Mass, to be able to see it not just as 
some mundane gathering, but is actually the union of the earthly and the heavenly liturgy, the angels and the saints surrounding us as we pray, and of course, all of us surrounding the throne of the Lamb.